This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, the Stones Remember, Cursed Places of the UK. It is our final episode of our spooky season specials, and Samhain is almost upon us. Yes. Ooh, I'm so excited. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've obviously done an episode on cursed objects in the past, and this year we thought it might be interesting to take the same principle and apply it to places, specifically places in the UK. Yeah. Um, we hear a lot about kind of spooky things across um, the world and obviously those are fantastic and we have touched on them in other episodes but I think this season we really kind of wanted to look at some of the lesser known places, lesser known stories and lesser known things so we've kind of really, we're really culminating that I think into this final episode. Uh, Now a little bit of housekeeping first. Um, Some of these places have earned the name Cursed because of truly horrific things which have happened there. Um, Some of which was actually quite recent on the timeline. So if you're not in a good mental place for that, you might want to put this episode on the back burner. Yeah, absolutely. Um, With that in mind, um, (laughs) you know, we don't go into... I could have done an entire like schedule on basically murder houses which i haven't done but if someone wants that in future we can maybe consider it for a future (laughs) halloween thing oh god (laughs) Uh, yes so first of all a recap of what we mean by cursed and in relation to places because we're going to have to adapt the definition just a tiny bit yeah so okay a, a cursed place could be a very very innocuous place or a place of great historic interest you know it doesn't have to be sort of like ah oh, this is the mysterious temple that's been here for ten thousand years and nobody <laughs> really knows what it's for kind of thing yeah it can just be an ordinary flat somewhere yeah uh you can then also have a place which is allegedly imbued by a magical practitioner with malevolent intent yes. um which w- yes we will <laughs> We've, we've got a good we've got a good one of those in a yeah. minute. Uh, it can be the scene of a great tragedy, absorbing that energy and then recreating it in some way. Yeah, um, I think that a lot of people have been to examples of that, and obviously we're not going to be looking at, at sort of kind of larger larger sort of world examples. We are sticking in the UK, um, but I think a fair few people who've been to scenes of great tragedy will find that there is a feeling there so you could you know apply that term in that case definitely you then have a place which has borne mute witness to numerous tragic events throughout history and so rather than just one uh several and again um i think we've we've kind of all been to places which have sort of you know witnessed a lot of tragic events and kind of bear the scars of that, both in kind of the presence that's been left um, and also physically sometimes as well. Yeah, and it could be an inherently malevolent place. Um, So, you know, some houses are born bad, to quote Stephen King. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be a house either. It can just be a place where you are not welcome there. Yeah. And, 
you know, no matter who you are, you go there and you cannot help feeling you are not welcome. And strange uh, little patterns of accidents and things happen, stuff that makes you think, I just want to leave. Now, for the purpose of this episode, uh, Jules, who has very kindly um, made the collection, has decided to discount a number of candidates which are just haunted. So just um, haunted. <laughs> just, oh, it's just haunted. <laughs> um, the criteria for a cursed place, as we define it, um, is that it must have numerous strange paranormal events attached to it, um, a pattern of malevolent hauntings which are part of a bigger malevolent agenda, and it must have witnessed multiple atrocities. Um, and it's still active today, or some combination of all of these things. Um, so, sorry guys if you've come in just for some, some old haunted houses. Uh, we obviously aren't going to go through all of those, though perhaps that's something that we can look at in the future. Yes, I think we did a haunted house episode last year, so, you know, we can always re revisit that another there time. There are so many haunted houses. <laughs> there are so many, it's like everywhere. Um, yeah. Actually, if you're interested, check out Paranormal Database because it shows you where the most reported hauntings and things in Britain are. And That's it's really right. interesting what the top counties and things are. Or I found it interesting. Um, basically, is it, though... Is it Dorset? It, Sorry. <laughs> no, Dorset's number four. Dorset's number four. Uh, Lincoln was number one. Yorkshire was number two. The third was somewhere around Manchester area. Then it's Dorset. <laughs> just the north is hella haunted <laughs> yeah it's like the north is like it's ghost central up there and dorset and then yeah. devon and cornwall and then you get a few of the others as well yeah <laughs> but anyway basically if a place is just a bit spooky with one or two ghost sightings we consider the place haunted not cursed and with that in mind let's get into it <laughs> Uh, so we're going to, speaking of the north, we're going to actually start up in the north um, in uh, at Bolskin House, Foyers Fall in Scotland. Uh, now this name might be familiar to a few of you. Um, Bolskin House is a manor house on the southeast side of Loch Ness. And uh, I mean the Loch, not the Loch Ness Monster. It's just <laughs> constantly on the southeast side of the Loch Ness Monster. Um, and it's best known uh, for once being the residence of the infamous Alistair Crowley. But we'll get into that. Its yes. history goes back much further. Um, and it appears that Crowley purchased the house because of its reputation for paranormal activity. He didn't just create all of it himself. No, no. Now, so. the parish of Bolskin was formed in the 13th century. Um, a kirk, um, which is a church for the non-Scots, um, and a graveyard were built at the time. Uh, now, a series of ministers served in the area, travelling the small hamlets on horseback or on foot in all weather, which for Scotland means in the rain. And snow. <laughs> and snow all, and hail this, yeah this would have been hard because they, they didn't necessarily have roads between some of these hamlets or didn't not proper roads and this is part of the great glen the great glen is absolutely gorgeous but it's incredibly dangerous as well in inclement weather shall we say yeah even now but certainly back then yeah obviously the entire area already had a very a strong reputation for strange happenings, uh, which included disappearances caused by the she, the fairies, uh, vampire attacks, 
Um, oh yes. Uh, <laughs> find out more about vampire attacks in our previous episode. Um, ghosts and hauntings, and of course, good old Nessie. Um, records of who go back to the first century A.C.E. So, yeah. One of the Bolskin ministers, Thomas Houston, had the task of laying a plague of reanimated corpses back in their graves after an evil local wizard was said to have raised them from their graves. This was around about 1670. So, yeah, Highland zombies. Wild. <laughs> I think that's probably one of my favourite stories of the area was just just the poor guy's like, right, well, okay, someone's got to rebury the, the zombies. Off you go. No one ever thinks about that in zombie movies. <laughs> Who reburies the zombies? Yeah, I mean, he had to obviously stop them being zombies first, but yeah, then putting yeah. them back in their graves afterwards. It's kind of... I mean, a lot of vicars have to deal with the fact that their their graveyard, the one they oversee, has been vandalised, but this was kind of taking the piss, I think. Yeah, it really was. Now, according to legend, uh, Bolskin Kirk was struck by lightning and caught fire, killing everyone inside during, um, it would have been, yeah, during some kind of mass, um, which is not a great start to a... Uh, well you can kind of already on that alone you would be like right that's going to be a fairly haunted place we've had corpses wandering around and now the church has caught fire um, and and everybody's died inside yeah the first bolskin manor was built upon the site of the kirk which burnt down in the 1760s by colonel archibald fraser as a hunting lodge Apparently, this was done to irritate Simon Fraser of Lovett in retribution for his support of the Hanoverian cause during the Jacobite uprisings. Um, Lord Lovett's lands basically sort of do a semicircle around Bolskin, so having a constant Jacobite reminder right in the middle must have been, you know, it must have really pissed him off. Yeah, I love the pettiness of it. Yeah. Um, if there's one thing you can rely on with the Scottish clans, it's to uh, piss off the other Scottish clans. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, the hunting lodge was then expanded continuously up until the 1830s, um, but it never lost its reputation for being haunted during that time. No. Alistair Crowley, is there, I wonder if there's anyone listening to this who doesn't know who Alistair Crowley is. Alistair Crowley was born from a quite well-to-do family. Um, he was bisexual. He got interested in the occult at quite an early age. He joined the Golden Dawn. Um and then he found that he thought the Golden Dawn was too restrictive and he started his own version, this, his own magical temple or lodge. Yeah. Um, that's the bare bones. I would actually recommend, don't necessarily read Alistair Crowley's books because, you know, they're a head trip, but maybe rec- read some of his um, biographies and things because he was a really interesting person. He was a very interesting person. Um, I think one of the key things is that he was obviously born into a very kind of strict... Um, section of the church in that his his family were were quite strict strictly uh christian and obviously he deviated from that uh his own mother called him a monster uh he also had kidney problem uh, was it kidney or liver problems all i know is that he went to a private boarding school and upon all the other kids finding out that he had i think it was kidney problems they took great pleasure in punching him in the kidneys yeah. um so you know he didn't have a great upbringing um but he reveled in kind of his 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 mother's sort of naming him a monster. He reveled in it and really lent into it. Um, so he's definitely a very interesting figure, but by no accounts was he necessarily a particularly nice person. No. 
Anyway, he purchased the house from the Frasers in 1899 because he believed the site was perfect for conducting a lengthy ritual taken from a grimoire called the Book of Abramelin. Uh, for those who were kind of interested, the concept was that the book supposedly said that all people had a kind of a, a guardian angel who stuck beside them, and that by conducting this very, very lengthy ritual, which took like I think it took weeks or months, not just it's six of months of purification, and then the ritual takes weeks. Yeah, um, you would be able to actually speak with this this angel and get information from them which again is very interesting this kind of this mix of sort of angels and all sorts of of dark things um now crowley became very infamous for performing black magic um he even fell out with the golden dawn uh which by the standards of the time was a fairly egalitarian organization um even if it was a bit of a rich boys club uh so during yeah. the ritual, he believed it was necessary to summon and bind the 12 kings and dukes of hell, which is quite a feat. Apparently, the head of the Golden Dawn summoned him to Paris during the course of this ritual, and he never banished the demons that he summoned. So I feel like this was a, a faux pas on the Golden Dawn's kind of... <laughs> they're like, we don't approve of this ritual. Well, okay, then I guess I'll just leave them sitting there. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I, you get the impression that he was summoned to Paris by the leader of the Golden Dawn to get wrapped on the knuckles, and he just left everything simmering on the hob kind of thing, and it was just... Yeah. Though knowing Crowley, what he, sorry, Crowley, Crowley, knowing Crowley, what he probably did was he got the summons, began the ritual, and then went, now's the time that I will go and answer it so that I can look them dead in the eye and say, well, I've already, I've already summoned them. But I guess I should just leave them there because he seems like the contrary sort of asshole who would do that. Yeah. Um, he performed numerous other rituals there and a series of strange events happened. Uh, objects moved, doors closed of their own volition, odd lights were seen in the graveyard. And then a series of tragedies occurred, including his gamekeeper losing two of his children in an accident. Um, Crowley was later quoted as saying that his experiments had got out of hand. Yeah, though what is, again, an indication of him not being a particularly nice person is that we had the, the case, obviously, with the gamekeeper. Um, there was other sort of numerous reports, including um, a man who I believe cut off his own hands, etc., kind of in the village sort of nearby. And the fact that Crowley would report on these with, with delight, essentially, as kind of proof of what he'd done, um, he didn't seem to actually care that either through some form of hysteria or through basic tragedy just happening, um, he sort of claimed it um, like it was a kind of medal. So even yeah. though he did say it kind of got out of hand, uh, he he did seem to actually enjoy the what was happening, um, even if it was just so that he could claim that he was actually really performing these rituals. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> He's one of those weird mercurial characters who sometimes he'll do good and sometimes he'll do bad just as it suits him. And yeah. he very much embodied his own personal motto of do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That's what he said. The actual saying is anit hum and do as thou wilt. Yeah. Um, he, so he took the, the Wiccan creed, if you like, and he perverted it uh, into sort of like you can't really do any harm because the point of all life is to have all experiences. Um 
he was a notorious seducer of both men and women mm-hmm. um, whether they were married or not apparently that didn't bother him he when he was setting up his own lodge he uh, tricked people or coerced them out of huge sums of money because his family cut him off without a penny after a certain point. So he just sort of like got massive, massive donations from other people and became quite wealthy right up as he became bankrupt. But he's also supposed to have done an awful lot of work with uh, so-called white lodges, including uh, Dion Fortune and mm. her crew, crew, her coffin. Um, into When it came to sort of stuff against, I say stuff, I don't want to go into too much detail, but stuff against... Um, the Nazis, World War Two. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, a very mixed character, <laughs> an eclectic, a, a very interesting character. Um, he eventually left the house in 1913. Uh, now, after World War One, the Hollywood actor um, George Raft was involved in a scandal um, selling shares to pig farm. Uh, at Bolskin, which didn't actually exist. Um, <laughs> yes. That's quite a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I've condensed the history a bit, but actually the house changed hands about six or seven times in this period, right up until it got to George Raft. Nobody yeah. kept it for long. Yeah. Um, it just seemed to be something that people would buy and then just pass on. Uh, so obviously came into George Raft um, and he immediately started selling pig farms that didn't exist. Um, We then get to sort of World War II and the house was owned by a man called Major Edward Grant. Uh, Now stories of hauntings and tragedies continued um, throughout his tenure. Uh, In 1965, Grant committed suicide with his shotgun in the room which had been Crowley's bedroom. Um, Jimmy Page, who was a singer-songwriter for Led Zeppelin, um, was a Crowley enthusiast and collected a lot of Crowley memorabilia. He bought the house in 1970, thinking it would be a great place to write songs. Yeah, as you do. It's like, oh, the most haunted building I can find in Scotland. (laughs) Perfect. In the end, he didn't spend very much time there, though. He left the upkeep of the place to his friend Malcolm Dent. Now, when Dent moved in, the house was a wreck. There had been at least one fire, again... The grounds had gone to hell and parts of the building were missing. Dent was a sceptic of the paranormal, but he soon began to experience strange occurrences. Yeah, we should say when they're missing, we mean as in like they've fallen down or... Yeah, not, not stolen, they're not, they're not, not a paranormal. Report loop. So uh, Dent began to hear strange rumblings from the hallway, uh, which stopped when he went to investigate, but would resume the minute he closed his bedroom door. Um, He then experienced what he described as the most terrifying night of his life. He was awoken from sleep by the sound of a huge animal snorting and scrabbling at his bedroom door, banging around in the hall. He didn't dare open the door until the sun rose because he felt whatever was on the other side of the door was pure evil. Uh, He also had a friend who stayed over and she described being attacked in the night by some kind of devil. Um, Which is not what you want, really, when you visit a friend. 
Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there were other things as well. Uh, one of the common ones was that chairs would switch places um, at the table. Uh, doors would bang themselves shut. Um, rug rugs would roll themselves up inexplicably. Now, weirdly enough, none of this actually deterred Dent from living there. Uh, which you would think. <laughs> you'd think after that night with the sort of, there's something in the hall and I believe it's pure evil, you'd be kind of like, maybe you're going to move out. No. Yeah, but no, he didn't. Um, in fact, he met his wife in Bolskin and he decided that this house would be the perfect place to raise a family. And he did. <laughs> and he did. Um, now, in 1992, the McGilvray family purchased the house. Despite all the work previously done on the place, Bolskin House was determinedly returning to ruins. They spent a lot of money and energy stripping back the walls and re-roofing the house to turn it into a hotel. Uh, a few years later, Ronald McGilvray died and his widow was forced to sell. She said they never experienced any paranormal activity. She said she describes herself as a non-believer and mm. that, you know, they did used to get a cult enthusiast coming to stay there. And yeah. her husband hated any mention of it, possibly because he was impatient about it. Or maybe he personally had had experiences that he didn't want to tell his sceptical wife. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they. she she actually said, we never saw anything. We had a great time in our years there. So. See, maybe I, it was the furniture. Maybe it was because they got rid of the furniture. Maybe they got rid of the furniture. <laughs> just, just Haunted furniture. Haunted furniture. <laughs> Find out more about that in our previous episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It then became a private residence again in 2002, used by a Dutch family as a holiday home. It was resold in 2009. So once again, it doesn't stay in anyone's possession for very long. No. Um, On the 23rd of December 2015, a motorist passing on the road nearby reported flames and smoke coming from Bolskin House. By the time the fire crews actually got there, it was estimated that about 60% of the building had been totally incinerated. Fortunately, no one was inside the house at the time, and the fire was thought to have started in the kitchen. Yeah. The interior of the house was almost completely destroyed. However, the Bolskin House Foundation, a charitable organisation, now owned the property, so they sort of swooped in and bought it, formed this charitable um, foundation, with the intention of restoring the house and gardens and opening it to the public. This is still the plan, by the way. Yeah. Now, there were, since that, um, there have been two further fires uh, in 2019. Um, It's suspected, but it's not been proven that it was arson. Uh, And that ended up destroying more of the house and several of the outbuildings. So, with that, what are our thoughts is it cursed? Is it bad luck? Is it people messing with things that they shouldn't? What do you think, Jules? Um, I do genuinely think there are some places where, for whatever inexplicable reason, we're not welcome and we do well to leave alone. And I yeah. think this sounds very much like it might be one of those places. It did not want a church built there. It really didn't want anything else built on top of that. Um, and then you've got people there monkeying around with the occult, which, whatever you believe, it does actually change your perception of reality because you are pushing your mind back and forth yeah, to absolutely. do those leaps. Um, so, yes, you can you can certainly cause yourself to see things. It was very noticeable that I forgot to mention this, but 
when Crowley was doing a lot of his experimentation, there were more sightings of the Loch Ness Monster, more disappearances and things than any of the other preceding decades. Yeah, absolutely. So it was like it was bleeding out into the local area. Yeah, um, it's it's a very interesting phenomenon. And if people are interested, you should definitely kind of check out a little bit more about it because the whole kind of... And it's not an isolated phenomenon either of places, of, of cases where we've got Crowley or other people kind of performing rituals and stuff like that and other spooky things happening in the area around. We've touched on it in previous episodes, but it's a very interesting phenomenon. Um, I do think that even if we said, okay, well, there's nothing kind of supernatural about it at all. There's, you know, it's just a normal place. The sheer reputation tainted the area not just the house but the ground the whole kind of thing the fact that crowley knew enough about the area to decide to to kind of to take it to build upon it and stuff like that because it it was such a perfect location for his ritual means that it was already infamous to a certain degree so when something is infamous for that long regardless of whether you believe in the supernatural or not reputation goes a long way in 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 altering and in altering perception essentially yeah, definitely and then the hunting lodge itself was built out of ill intent yeah so you're taking a building that was built out of ill intent and then you are using that you're activating it in some way um, again what happens in your own mind is is as important in many ways as what physically happens so yeah uh, I don't know. There, there's, there was definitely something a bit odd about the place. I also think it's quite unusual to have so many fires in one place over several centuries like that. Yeah, certainly. Um, and as, as we kind of said, there is a possibility that it was actually arson. Um, and it could be arson for any number of reasons for several of the cases. One being people who really do believe that this is an evil place and should therefore be destroyed. Yeah. Um, or others actually in support of Crowley or in support of all of that are kind of trying to continue perpetuating his legacy um, by weirdly enough destroying it. <laughs> you know, maintaining yeah. it. Um so it is very possible that a lot of it is human intervention. It's possible, again, that because Crowley so delighted in kind of collecting unfortunate circumstances, um, you know, and applying it to, you know, his his doing, um, that we kind of have a record of lots of bad things happening, which would have just been happening anyway over the years, um, but which are now connected to the house so that even things which are outside of the house, even events which could only tenuously be linked to the house, are suddenly all part of its greater mythos. Um, which again, changes the mood, the impression that we have of it. I mean, one can be in no doubt that if, if you head into a building and someone says to you, this place is haunted, even if you scoff at that, you're more likely to kind of note the elements of it which would give that impression or more likely to go, what was that? When normally you'd be like, well, that was clearly just the radiator sort of readjusting, but suddenly you've got ghosts and hauntings and stuff on your mind. Yeah, definitely. 
Okay, let's move on to our next one. Um, Maiden Castle and Mornbury Rings, Dorchester, Dorset, England. <laughs> yep, see, now we're into Dorset. Spooky. <laughs> Dorset. Dorset is full of spooky places. It um, is. Full, full of many, again, very high on the paranormal index. Yeah. Okay, um, Maiden Castle is an Iron Age hill fort just outside of Dorchester. It is the largest such hill fort in Britain and probably the largest example currently existent in Europe. Its vast ramparts enclose an area equal to 50 football pitches, so it's big. It's very big. Um, its history goes back further than that, however. The area has been settled by humans since the Neolithic times, so we're talking 6,000 years ago. An oval area of woodland was cleared and enclosed. So this is, we have archaeological evidence of this. We know that people have been there for an incredibly long period of time. Definitely. Uh, during the Iron Age, earthworks were built on the early enclosure, possibly to provide protection for the surrounding agricultural land and the estimated 40,000, 40,000, 4,000, 40,000. 40,000 would be a bit much. <laughs> yeah, at that time, 4,000, 4,000 would have been a huge number of people for sort of like the Celtic tribes of the area um, who then lived in the area at that time. In the 1930s, an excavation uncovered a late Iron Age burial ground of 52 skeletons, many of which display traumatic injuries suggesting violent death. This has provoked long arguments about whether Maiden Castle was the site of a Roman invasion. The timeline certainly fits uh, with uh, Vaspasian's campaign to subdue the Gerotriges? Uh, Gerotriges, I would Thank say. Thank you. Gerotriges, uh, the Domno... Oh, for goodness sake. Domnomnii the... and the Atrobates. <laughs> Thank you very much. My <laughs> dyslexic brain has just been like, nope, cannot read notes. Um, who were in the south of England uh, at the time. So we're talking ACE uh, 43 to 47. Now, vivid stories were woven uh, by a guy named Mortimer Wheeler, who was an archaeologist um, in the uh, 1930s dig, about Roman legions sweeping in and butchering women and children and engaging in pitched battle with the men. There's a lot wrong with this picture, but the place itself does have an odd effect on the mind. Yeah, this is where I butt in with some personal experiences. Um, I lived in Dorchester as a very small child. Mm. My earliest memories are from when I was perhaps five months old. So my brain's a bit odd. Um, but, and they're clear memories as well. And they check out with other people who like stare at me astounded that I can remember this thing happening when I wasn't even a year old. Mm. Um, but anyway, we used to, my dad and I used to take walks across Maiden Castle so I was barely more than a toddler at the time mm. and we'd walk up there and then I'd come back and I'd have these strange dreams um, I didn't know anything about the Roman invasion of Britain when I was two or three I'd like to point out I, I was reading very early but I wasn't reading non-fiction like that <laughs> and strangely enough my dad did not think talking about the Roman invasion of Britain was, a, was suitable bedtime material either I didn't get to see it on television, so I don't know where it came from. These these weird, mm. vivid dreams of what I, looking back, um, now think were kind of Roman legionaries marching. Um, this is not proof, by the way. This is just my 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 take home point here is that even at this very very young age, um, this 
place this huge hill fort which is always windy by the way because it's that high up mm-hmm. somehow it's heckin windy <laughs> it, it really is yeah tie your hair down um, <laughs> especially if you've got long hair but basically it, it just provokes this strange not quite cultural memory but this strange sense of yes shit happened here kind of thing um so vividly that it plays on your subconscious mind or it certainly played on mine as a very small child that's not me saying yes well i dreamed about it so obviously the romans swept in and there was this horrible massacre but it was just it's weird how without any other prompting or whatever at that very early age my brain made that weird leap and yeah and obviously you can say well you're looking back as an adult maybe you're adding adult logic on top of a weird childish experience that and that's entirely possible i'm not going to rule that out but um, I do viv- do really remember some of these vivid dreams I had as a very, very young child, and it was of Maiden Castle. There was always the sense of something else being there when we were up there. Yeah. And certainly, um, even if you don't know the history of the place, if you take a walk up there, there is this kind of sense of being watched... Um, and it's not just by the uh... <laughs> <laughs> by the sheep, not by the sheep, the, the people lurking. <laughs> but yeah, it is it is a kind of a windy place, and people do kind of have that sense of being not alone um, or being in an area which is hostile or unfriendly. Yeah. Um, in ACE three six seven, a Romano Celtic temple was built at the southeast end of Maiden Castle. It's really worth remembering that the Romans didn't just come in and say, right, now you'll worship Jupiter. They came in, they found out about the local gods, and they linked their gods. So, for example, Mars was linked with, or became linked with, the Roman god Tyr. Um, not mm. the Roman, the the, um, the Saxon god Tyr, or Tyr, it would have been the Norse equivalent. We've actually lost the name of a lot of Celtic gods. Um, Mars was also linked with... Um, god what was the name of him but he was linked with a number of celtic gods as well so yeah they did the same thing and after a while one form of worship slipped into another and we lost some of the language and then we lost the names of the gods and things but it was very much if you find any ancient place of worship that also also has that really weird sort of watched feeling to it yeah absolutely um now over the following centuries um it has mostly been used as pasture but it never lost its reputation for hauntings or notably for getting people lost (laughs) yeah the number of people i've spoken to over the years who said well we went up there and god it took us hours to find our way down i'm like yep (laughs) (laughs) it does that (laughs) (laughs) that is a weird you know i think it is a very weird phenomenon of um of places where you just get lost very easily being this kind of uh, <laughs> just this kind of impression of yeah I'm not, I'm not wanted here it's a kind of labyrinthine um, yeah, element it's like well now you're here we're not going to let you out we're going to make sure yeah. that your experience was unpleasant so you don't come back yeah absolutely um, it's worth I mean even if you've never been there have I mean have a look at some pictures of it because yeah it's amazing you kind of look at it and you be like how could you get lost on that and and then you kind of look at it and you go yep yeah, I can sort of understand how you <laughs> you just end up going in circles and yeah so it kind of feels like you're going into the center of the world or just continuously climbing it's like from 
from the air it looks like oh well that's really symmetrical that would be easy to navigate but when you're actually walking over it it's, it feels like a series of small hills because you're walking over something like six or seven different earthwork ramparts and things which are big yeah um yeah so so yes um anyway other instances also include ufo sightings and in early centuries fairy abductions Yes. Those two things um, are linked quite often. <laughs> yeah, they are, and, and we have touched on that as well. Um, but uh, people have also heard things like the sounds of marching boots, um, and as we've said, you know, being watched or things like that. Um, and, uh, of course, we then had the 1995 crop circle phenomenon, which uh, Jules will actually remember. I will remember. That was the year I had just finished my GCSEs. And... Uh... Yeah, I did a fair bit of back and forth to Weymouth and to Dorchester at the time. And we actually climbed Maiden Castle at the time and looked out and saw you know, a bunch of us, some girls from school and some boys I was friends with outside of school. Um, mm. And we, we actually looked down on these crop circles and there was a series of nine interlinked crop circles in the fields around Maiden Castle. <laughs> and the weird thing about these were, I mean, there's lots of ways of making crop circles as kind of a hoax. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the people there are, there's a special organisation in Dorset for looking at crop circles, believe it or not, um, yeah. they went through and they 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 ruled out the normal hoax ways of making crop circles. They said it was weird. It was like the crops had grown in that direction overnight. There was no sign of damage or whatever to the stalks themselves, which is normally a dead giveaway for boots or stomping boards. Um, yeah. And they said that the actual heads of wheat and what have you had twisted into these deformed little kernels and they collected some of them and then the next year they actually germinated them in the dark without water and they grew just normally. So they said there's something very weird going on here because we wouldn't have expected those those seed heads to actually be able to, to germinate because they looked so deformed. So there's something very weird and spooky. But I have to say over the decades there's been loads and loads of crop circles around Dorset and around Maiden Castle and all of the burial mounds around there and if you stand up on Maiden Castle you can look across to the other hills and you will see burial mounds and cairns and things across the other hills it's all it's very much when I use the term ley line I mean um, basically the old straight track where you had places of Neolithic worship linked by these straight lines so and yeah. you can stand on top of Maiden Castle or other hills in Dorset and you can see these straight lines um, from Bullbarrow, you can look across to other hills and see burial mounds on other hills. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason Dorset is so haunted. Yeah. <laughs> Dorset's like the capital of UFO, you know, UFO sightings and ghosts. Yeah, some spooky, spooky shit going on down there. Some spooky so, um, stuff going on. So yeah, I can't explain uh, the crop circles, but it was very interesting when it was happening back when I was yeah. a wee young thing, about fif- yeah. fifteen, almost sixteen. <laughs> um, we also have the Manbury Rings, uh, which is on the other side of Dorchester. It is a Neolithic henge site. <laughs> Sorry, henge always makes me laugh because it just makes me think of Eddie Izzard saying, nobody knows what a henge is. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's presumed to be a place of worship. Uh, now, during the Roman occupation, it was modified um, into being an amphitheatre. Yes, where... Uh, there was obviously the usual type of Roman entertainment, including executions. Yeah. 
because um, that's the thing is it's like it's an amphithe- amphitheater oh great so we've got some plays going on there yes and we also have other forms of roman entertainment um, which are less savory now during the civil war um of 1640 to 1643, it was used as an artillery storage site to guard the southern approach to Dorchester. Yes, Dorchester was a key town for, well, for many, many centuries. It was a key town during the Roman era. Uh, Dernavaria was what it was called. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a key gathering place for the Celtic tribes before that and the Picts before that. So, you know, it was a, it's, it's had a lot of history. There's lots of Roman ruins and things all around Dorchester. In fact, if you're in the south of England and you fancy looking at somewhere with loads of history, just you could just walk into a car park and, oh, look, this is where the Roman pillars used to stand. Um, Dorchester's <laughs> yeah. a great place to go for that. Um, anyway, in the late 17th and 18th century, Maunbury Rings was used as a place of public execution. In 1865, at the end of the Monmouth Rebellion, Judge Jeffreys ordered that 85 rebels be executed there. Judge Jeffreys yes, was well known. we are known. talking about that Judge yeah. Jeffreys. <laughs> <laughs> yes, his house is in Dorchester and is reputedly haunted by his paranoid old ghost. So <laughs> there's that. The, <laughs> the thing is, if you look at the um, the Manbury rings, it, it is a very peculiar kind of structure. Yes, it is odd. And I think it started out as a natural structure that was then utilised by the Neolithic people and then was again... You've got Maiden Castle nearby and people would have been able to get across quite easily to go to this place of worship, which was separated from the place where they did flint napping and animal husbandry, etc. Yeah. It's a, it's it's quite an interesting kind of yeah. structure. Uh, now, uh, in 1705, a lady called Mary Channing, who was 19 years old, was accused of poisoning her hu- husband and she was strangled and burned there. Um, fun, I say fun fact, uh, particularly as you kind of, you get this a lot in Scotland and stuff like that. We talk a lot about witch burnings and things like that. In a lot of cases, um, people wouldn't actually be burned to death. They would be strangled first and then burned. Yeah. Because uh, as we talked about in previous episode, the idea of the burning, that was this kind of punishment whereby you would not have a body. So when it came to... Uh, kind of judgment day um, you would literally not be able to rise up you know at the end (laughs) it would kind of be to god whether you did because you needed your actual body Um, so we do have this case of of this young woman who was being strangled and burned um, in that spot so it's not just a case of a woman being executed for uh, murder but literally also being uh, destroyed um, both spiritually and physically. Yeah, and it's very noticeable that for many centuries, uh, female adulterers and female murderers, female women who murdered their husbands specifically, or women mm-hmm. who murdered their children, because that was against God's law, were often burned. Sometimes they were burned alive. If they confessed, they got the mercy of being strangled first. We don't actually yeah. know that she was guilty, but people no. had, well, enough people believed she was that they would have burned her alive if she hadn't confessed. Yeah. Which is Um, obviously horrible. (laughs) Yes. Uh, There are also tentative tales of heretic and witch burnings and witch hangings at the site during the era for such things, which, uh, to be honest, sounds fairly legitimate if we 
do actually have an account of Mary Channing being killed there. The idea that, you know, this is not a unique thing that other people, other women particularly, are are killed in that area, executed in that area. Yeah. Um, kind of stands to reason. And executions were at one point a form of public entertainment. And this was a place with a long history of being a place of public entertainment or worship, which again is kind of a form of public entertainment. Yeah. Uh, and so much so that it's actually now used as an open-air theatre. Yes, I've been to a number of plays there and had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it has a number of hauntings reported, as well as instances where people have visited at night and been unable to find their way out, um, often finding th- themselves in a different version of the rings, um, which is horrifying. So it it's not necessarily quite right, quite outright malevolent, but it's definitely disquieting. Yeah, sometimes I've heard a few people, I've spoken to a few people, obviously no names, um, who have said that they felt like they suddenly weren't near Dorchester, the Dorchester they knew anymore. There was no city, there was no, it's not a city, there were no town lights, there was no brewery. The brewery is huge and it's not very far from Warmbury Rings and you can smell it, just like mm. I used to be able to smell it like miles away when I was at the convent um, on the other side of Dorchester. And it's just suddenly all that modern stuff isn't there. You can't hear the cars. There's a road quite near Maunbury Rings. And mm. this sense that they, were, they weren't they were quite in the right century was how this person described it. And they yeah, did have been out of time. That's Yeah. <laughs> and they, you know, there's some of the, the stories of, of burnings of heretics and witches there was kind of, based on the fact that people have gone there and they've seen strange fires and they've heard strange screams and things um, when they've been sort of alone or in a small group at night. And it's a sense that every so often Maunbury Rings chooses to show the people there something a bit different. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There have also even been reports from theatre companies who've said that they've had electrical disturbances and equipment malfunctions, um, which is very, very common when it comes to any kind of sort of haunting or haunted areas. Um, Now, there are ideas that this could be because of magnetic disturbances or whatever in areas which are also affecting our brains, which make us see haunted things, which therefore also affect electronic devices. Uh, which is certainly an interesting idea. Um, but one can definitely say that there's something very particular to this area which seems to affect things and affect people. Yeah, I mean, I could have probably drew, drawn a circle around Dorchester, Maiden Castle, Monbury Rings, just the Dorchester area, and mm. gone, okay, this is our, our cursed place, our haunted place. <laughs> because there are so many reports but we would have been we could do an entire episode on that town Um, yeah (laughs) you heard it here first guys dorchester haunt dorchester is cursed (laughs) we're gonna get we're gonna get a message from someone who lives in dorchester being like actually it's a really nice place (laughs) it's a really nice place it's 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 kind of the land that time forgot because you have you can walk down the high street and it's just like um buildings from the Tudor era next to buildings from the Georgian era, Victorian, Queen Anne, etc. And they're all next yeah. to each other. Yeah, it's it's very picturesque. It's definitely worth a visit if you've not been into Dorchester. 
Okay, so uh, let's jump on to another favourite, and this is one that Jules has actually kind of mentioned in the past and that we have talked about because it is so infamous, and that is, of course, the ancient ram in um, in Walton Under um, Underedge in Gloucestershire. Yeah, this is this is five minutes down the road from where I work, and I go past it every morning when I do my little section of the Cotswold Way as part of my. I'm going to stay fit and, and walk type routine. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll go past it. And it, you know, I've talked about it before and you can check it out in the episode we did on, on haunted places. And also if you put in most haunted places in the UK, I guarantee the ancient Ram will be on the list. Oh um, yeah. Weirdly, um, inevitably. Inevitably. <laughs> if you put uh, cursed places in the UK into Google, weirdly the ancient Ram was the one that like came up. <laughs> And I'm like, yes, I know about you. I've already <laughs> talked about you, but I guess I'll have to talk about it again. It's a grade yeah. two listed building, parts of which date back to the 11th century. Um, I used to know the guy who owned it, who has now passed on. And he showed me the entry in the Doomsday Book, which showed that the land that it was built on in the original building was given to the, the family in that area. Um, it was built basically as somewhere to house the vicar, when the Church of St. Mary's, which dates back to the 12th century, was being built, no other vicar is recorded as living in the in the building after that. So we assume that the vicarage was built somewhere in the town after that, even though that vicarage has now gone missing and nobody knows where it was. <laughs> Again, it's, I love it when we talk about buildings going missing. It's it's kind of like, we're not really sure which building it was because they didn't necessarily designate <laughs> buildings or you know differentiate them in the same way. Um, anyway, the, the entire area has been settled since the Neolithic times. There are standing stones with Pictish carvings on them, if you know where to look. Um, mm -hmm. There's definitely been people there since the late Bronze Age. It's full of fertile agricultural land, so even though it's on hills and it's quite difficult to negotiate and the roads are terrible, um, there's water, there's woodland, there is fertile agricultural type land. So it's not surprising it was settled. Yeah. Um, the house itself, most of it is now dates back to around the 1600s. It's got that white plaster and black timber frame. If you yeah. look it up, look for a photo online, and it can look quite innocuous. It's just sort of sitting there. And it's noticeable that the road is sort of like halfway up the wall now because over the centuries, the road has got higher and higher and higher, and you actually have to go down steps to get in through the front door now. I love it. It does kind of make the building look like it's sinking. It does. Uh, which I think really adds to its uncanniness. Yeah. Uh, now, um, <laughs> there's a lot of history behind the building, but also a lot of history in the area. Um, obviously, settled. it's been settled since Neolithic times, um, you know, late Bronze Age. Um, but there are kind of rumours abound uh, and... I don't know how much evidence there is that it is actually a pagan burial site. Yeah, I don't know what, how much of that is just rumour. There's definitely mm. something to it. They, they found something in the cellar, or rather they found something mm. in the well in the cellar under the ancient ram. It's now blocked off and you can't get down there. Um, right. And they, I think it's kind of like they're thinking that it's kind of a, an Iron Age burial site. I forgot to say this when we were talking about Maiden Castle. Iron Age burial sites are very rare because they kind of believed more in sky burials. So they would put their dead out on wooden platforms and just let nature take its course. So you don't actually yeah. see Iron Age burial sites until the late Iron Age. Yeah. Um, so 
it is a it is a bit peculiar, which kind of makes you sort of also wonder with regards to why. Yeah. Um. So I mean, there have been a few odd things found there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they exca- when they excavated the cellar and stuff, they found a number of child skeletons showing traumatic injuries, and the more lurid imagination of people suggested that it was evidence of human sacrifice. What it could have been evidence of was the practice of hearth guardianship, whereby a, a dog or a cat or whatever was killed and then put underneath a hearthstone in in order to bind its spirit to the place so that it would guard everyone there. Um, there was a practice in parts of Britain and in France. In fact, the practice mm-hmm. may have come from France originally. Not pointing fingers, it just might have done. <laughs> it just kind of lies... <laughs> Uh, it's the fact that you're just like not not pointing anything like I'm going to be offended, but <laughs> you know, just which makes it all the more kind of like suggestive. <laughs> I mean, well, frankly, the Irish and the Scots did some pretty bad stuff as well. Um, but, yeah, but they sometimes used children, or they took a child who died of either you know an injury or illness or whatever, and they buried mm. the child under the hearthstone so that the child's spirit would be bound to the house. So it might have been yeah. evidence of that. Either way, it's not great. <laughs> No. I mean, it could also have been um, a serial killer who just collected children, did things, and then buried them under the house so that no one would find them. I mean, that's... Well, it worked, that's if that was the case. Yeah, it, it, it definitely seems to have worked then. So, but either way, we've got the case of something not particularly pleasant going on. Yeah. Um, the Battle of Nibley Green took place nearby during the late, uh, late 1400s, and it was the last... It was evidence of the last actual duel fought between knights in Britain, in England. Right. Um, basically, one one brother thought that he ought to inherit, and another brother thought that he ought to inherit, or another relative thought that he ought to inherit, and they got their men together, and then it turned out that the one who was challenging uh, basically had an army full of peasants who didn't know one end of a sword from the other. Um, yeah. And it got very messy until they said let's settle this between ourselves with swords even though dueling was kind of being outlawed at the time because it's quite expensive and um, wasteful to kill off your nobles who can actually lead armies and stuff in this way and let them do it Yeah. Um, and yeah one of them was just killed outright during the first 30 seconds of the fight because he just wasn't very good and that settled yeah. the, that settled the, the claim uh, but people have seen um People legend they've initially thought they were in cosplay as night, and then realised that the cosplay is just a little bit too good, as in you know, <laughs> full surround sound and smells and stuff and what have you. And then they've turned around and they've been gone. Um, there's a history of suicide in that house as well. Um, yeah. During the 1700s, a maid hanged herself in the attic. Allegedly, she was with child and without a husband, but that might just be that people were saying that because they assumed that was the only reason women killed themselves. Yeah, um, and there have been other instances of suicide in there as well. That's just an example. Mm, yeah. Um, we then uh, kind of get into sort of people, sort of, I say more recently, but the the paranormal occurrences of around around the house and within the house, um, which several occupants have reported. Yeah. So, um, speaking to basically they, they've 
had the house exercised twice. Um, one of the priests who I happened to speak to came out and said it was the most evil place he'd ever set foot in and he wasn't ever going back. Um, another one allegedly went into the, I want to say the judge's room upstairs and was bodily thrown out by some unseen force. Wow. The man who used to live there, who I knew, and I had this from the horse's mouth, he used to come into the library to read the paper and we'd chat. And he'd bought the house in the 1970s and he just sort of fell in love with the place. And over the course of a few years, his wife moved out and took his children because she said, I'm not living there, we have to leave. And he wouldn't. So he was left there by himself and he ended up getting divorced because of it, because of mm. all the stuff that was happening there. Um, he woke up several occasions during the night to find something had him by the ankle and was dragging him violently out of bed and throwing him to the floor. Uh, there are other instances of ghost hunters who've gone there as part of tours and things being bodily thrown out of rooms or meeting strange people like the smiling cavalier who sort of tips his hat and then just disappears. There are, uh, people have seen monks walking across rooms. These are the ones that aren't actually malevolent, they just seem to be there. Yeah. Um, they've heard the creaking of a rope coming from above from the attic you know there's there's the sound of footsteps and then the sudden thump and then a creaking rope kind of thing yeah and when they looked into it that's when they found out about the maid who'd killed herself and there is a child who cries or a baby that cries persistently in the kitchen area and you can't find it and you, you it, it starts to drive you mad and you go looking for it and there's just nothing there but it just cries all through certain nights that's really unnerving. I mean, there's other stuff as well. It's a freaky... Um, it's it's on Potter's Pond, which is a weird twisty road sort of coming down the hill in Wooten. And if you're not driving carefully, it would be easy to have an accident. But there seems to be a pattern of car accidents and things that happen there. Just minor ones, but they just happen yeah. right outside the ancient ram. Um, there was an incident of someone coming past on a motorcycle who died by hitting a car coming the other way. Um, there have been lots of near misses and things and then on certain nights you can hear this motorcycle roaring down the road and it never arrives at the destination it never goes past you that's really and that only started oh. happening obviously after this motorcycle death it's like the house that's is it. collecting yeah it's very uh, Bly Manor in that respect uh, but yeah the, what's interesting is this kind of this sense of kind of being sucked in, I guess, which is emphasised by the fact it does look like it's sinking. Like there yeah. is just a hole there and it's just pulling pulling things in bit by bit, luring them in, um, which is petrifying. Uh, and obviously there have been also electronical malfunctions yeah. as well. I mean, I've experienced that. I've gone past there with a fully charged phone and once I've got to the other side of it, my phone's dead. That's very weird. Which is strange. So I'm not saying for definite. I'm just saying that having gone past it, that house has moods. You go past it some days and it's fine. It's just a quaint little building that's gradually sinking into the ground as history rises up around it. And then you yeah. go past it on other days and it sits there and it glowers out. And it has this real aura. And it, I think if you've got any sense, you wouldn't want to go into it when it's like that. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so definitely worth going past, though. Definitely worth a visit, um, Although, even if you just have a look at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Waterland Reg is beautiful. It's got all these lovely local shops and things. It's got a very nice library, if I do say so myself. Um, <laughs> library assistant, tiny bit grumpy, but, you know, she'll find you whatever book you're after. Bring um, her tea. Bring her tea. Bring tea. <laughs> or cheese, you know. Either's good. Um, and they still do ghost tours of the ancient ram. So, you know, that's how you want to get your rocks off. You've got a good chance of seeing something there because many people have before you. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, jump now into Gloucester, uh, and we're going to go to twenty-five Cromwell Street. Yes. Um, uh, a little bit about murder houses and murder tourism. Um, I think yeah. this is a thing all over the world, but it does seem to be kind of a thing in the UK, whereby mm. houses of serial killers or houses where famous murders happened weirdly it doesn't seem to affect the price very much or if it affects the price it doesn't affect people wanting to move in yeah Um, and there are people who are so fascinated by the topic they will tour murder houses around britain and they will take little souvenirs um so that's definitely a thing yes it is um england particularly just seems to have a big thing about the sensationalization of 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 serial killers i mean one only has to go into london and find jack the ripper everywhere yeah which when you think about it is very very weird because it is this this macabre celebration of a horrific murderer but yeah so there is this whole kind of darkness there um now uh this was the home of fred and rose west yes um, quick reminder, um, if people aren't aware, maybe maybe some of our American listeners aren't aware, Fred and Rose West were a notorious serial killing couple, um, and they had this long, twisted career of evil during the 80s and 90s. I think they were finally caught in 1994, 95. Hmm. So again, I remember a lot of this kind of happening. Um, Fred West committed suicide in prison. And Rose West is serving under Her Majesty's pleasure, although I suppose it's His Majesty's pleasure now, um, which means that she is not going to be released. Um, They did, uh, they basically ran a DOS house, which back in the 80s and 90s was an unofficial place where if you were a teenager, if you were homeless, if you were running from your parents or whatever, if you just like hiking around the country, basically being a bit of a hobo, people would say oh if you knock on 25 Cromwell Street they'll take care of you and you can stay there for a few days and they did Mm. an awful lot of people did and an awful lot of people speak about what a warm lovely couple they were how welcoming um the fact that they they didn't never took any money or anything and they went on their merry way and they were fine and it they were kind of lifesavers except Mm. that there were a few people who never ever left um and it's they their preferred victim were sort of young teenage girls. Rose West absolutely killed Fred West's stepdaughter with his consent. There were jokes about they they told everyone that she'd run away and they they said they were troubled by it but they couldn't find her and you know she was seventeen or whatever. And then they joked that she was under the patio, except it wasn't a joke. She was genuinely under the patio. Um, Fred West was a builder. He adapted the house so that there were peepholes and concealed little um, cupboards and and entrances and things and it was kind of like the house became an extension of his own mind 
And yeah. it was very noticeable that when he chose to commit suicide, which was just after news that the house had been demolished came to him, it wasn't going to be there anymore. His his theme park, his playroom, had been, was gone. Everything he'd put into this place where they did these terrible things to teenage girls was gone. It had been demolished and wiped out. Um, and so he killed himself. I don't think he was just trying to avoid prison sentence. I think it was kind of like, there's no point living. Yeah. He was he was kind of that far gone. Um, so, yeah, it was... They, they raped, tortured and murdered these young girls and 12 bodies were removed from the cellar when... You know, the whistle was finally blown. Um, that's 12 people that they found. There's a lot to suggest that there were many, many more. They just weren't buried at the house. Um, we're still digging up bodies around Gloucestershire, which have some of the signs that they may have been early or later victims of the Wests, or that Fred went out on a spree by himself, or that he indeed was involved with other people who also tried it out. So it's very, very oh, disturbing. It is incredibly disturbing. Um, incredibly. Uh, and again, to think that there are so many people who just passed through, you know, and felt that they were perfectly friendly, you know, even generous people. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly unnerving. Um because it was just in the middle of this kind of friendly little area, you know. And I have to say, since living in Gloucestershire, I've met so many people who say, yeah, I knew Fred West. Um, my supervisor, who is now sort of retired from library service, she said she met him once. He, he was, as I said, a builder. He came out on a job, and not for the library service, for something else. And she said, I got that vibe off him. And I'm like, if you're a, if you are a woman and I say that vibe, you probably know exactly what I mean. That very particular man vibe, where you think, "I don't know why I don't like you, but there's something off about you." Mm-hmm. Um, she, you know, just that sort of, yeah, I'm not sure about you. Go with your gut on that, people, because nine times out of ten, you're right about that person. Yeah. Um, Alan went to school one of his school friends a girl his father was good friends with fred west and she actually used to have sort of piggyback rides on his shoulders as a teenage girl that's terrifying when you think about it that is absolutely horrifying um they were careful in how they prayed i think running a dos house was just a way of finding people who had nowhere else to go with people who weren't going to be looking for them um it was a good way of attracting their proposed you know their preferred prey um they also fred used to pick up uh hitchhikers in his van as well so some of them have disappeared off the road kind of thing um so yes uh we've probably never found everything that they did and we may not you know we could be for the next few decades still be digging up bodies with the signature sort of fred west marks as it were oh and she was absolutely as guilty as he was not to yeah just absolutely horrifying but we're really supposed to be talking about the house um i suppose the house which was actually dismantled (laughs) the house which was demolished i mean to be honest i walked over it a few times when i used to work in gloucester before realizing what i was walking over (laughs) 
Um, I won't say yeah. there's a haunted feeling or anything and nothing like that. I think they did the right thing, demolishing it so people couldn't take souvenirs and things because that's what's happening. People were turning up and chipping bits out of the walls and stuff. Um, yeah. Macabre murder tourism. And, yeah, removing it and maybe removing this place that had just been, a, yeah, a playroom for this awful sort of serial rapist and murderer was definitely the right thing to do. Um, was the house cursed? I don't know, but by the definition of saying cursed is something that's witnessed multiple horrific atrocities. Yeah, maybe. And I think not just because it's witnessed, but it was actually moulded. Yeah, adapted for the purpose. A, of that. that. that That is something I think that really... Uh, they were right. They were right to kind of destroy it, I think, because it wasn't just a house that had witnessed something. It was itself a, a cage you know yeah. it was itself like you said this this warped um extension of their cruelty so um yeah and i think also by that kind of when you get people like that it's it's horrifying to think that there are copycat killers you know that this is seen as a kind of a form of inspiration. Yeah. Um, and actually having a building that still stood, um, that's there, I think would emphasise that. Yeah, definitely. I think that's how the police felt about it. Yeah. Um, from one place of horror to another, uh, we should talk about the Tower of London. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh now, the Tower of London obviously has an incredibly long history. Um, it was built by William the Conqueror after the Battle of Hastings. So, um, you know, its origins are almost a thousand years old. Um, and it has seen a huge amount, so much so that we could not fit that all into one episode. Just We just couldn't. Um, but obviously it's not just a tower. It's actually a huge castle in London uh, which features large grounds and private residences. Now, we tend to think of the sort of the whole torture and stuff like that. Now, that was all um, carried out in the Bloody Tower and the dungeons on the other side, um, whereas, you know, parts of it were also this sort of lush royal residence um, in what was called the White tower so it was when we hear about people being in the tower of london uh, the reality is that parts of the tower of london were actually luxurious residences yeah um it's obviously where the crown jewels are now kept as well um it's well worth it as a historic monument it's well worth touring and parts of it are closed off and you won't get to see all of them um yeah um, and you don't have to go into the bloody tower if that's not your yeah. uh, cup of tea, but there is more to the whole area than um, than just that. Yeah, and, you know, depending on whether someone was, you know, a proper knave, as it were, or a political prisoner or what have you, um, depending on where they were housed. I mean, Anne Boleyn had a little cottage in there, which, you know, is still there. So you can see Anne yeah. Boleyn's house, certainly from the outside. Mm-hmm, Yeah. Um, and, you know, you I, I believe there were points in history where it was almost kind of like one of the towers was basically like the Queen's residence. Yeah, you know, that's right. Where she spent a lot of time. So, uh, you know, it, it has a very, very long history, which we can't go into. Now, obviously, um, 
with the bloody tower it is by its name its definition a place of execution and torture and absolute cruelty um and it's not surprising then that there have been weird happenings around it um one of the main things is there have been a lot of accidents which have occurred near the bloody tower yeah things like people falling down steps and things and um i think there was a small fire that started um, I mean, it's basically mm-hmm. stones, so <laughs> it doesn't burn yeah. terribly well. Um, yeah. And, you know, minor car accidents and, and things on that side where the roads go around the tower. Um, yeah. So your, your usual sort of stuff, um, power outages, electrical faults, what have you, that, that your typical haunting bread and butter, as well as your actual hauntings. There are numerous reports of various different ghosts and things. Yeah, of course, we do have the, the princes as well, yep. um, who are some of kind of the main features and, and things like that. Um, and I think they're probably the main, some of the main features and kind of most within the consciousness, because we know that a lot of people were tortured and imprisoned and killed in the area. Um, but the idea of these kind of these two children, um, obviously massively popularized by Shakespeare. Thanks, Shakespeare. Yep. Um, these two innocent children, one of whom was really the rightful heir, uh, being kind of tucked away and then murdered within the tower, I think really sticks out within our consciousness. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we don't absolutely know what happened, but we do know how monarchs have acted over the centuries, so it's quite likely. Yes. Um, uh, and Belinda's so, supposed to also wander around with her head under her arm, but I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> she seems too sensible a person to have done that. <laughs> so I guess the, the question is, is it is it cursed? Um, if we're defining cursed as something which has seen a progression of, you know, hard pieces of history, then yeah, I guess, because it's just stood there through a thousand years of human history in London as well, which was... Mm -hmm. At one point, London was not just the history of England, it was also the history of Europe and the history of the rest of the world. So it had a lot going on. It was the centre of the empire at one point. Yeah. Um, And obviously it's because we have, you know, the sort of William the Conqueror, it's seen an incredible, you know, from the time of William the Conqueror, it has seen an incredible amount of, of warfare and sort of betrayal and battle and you know just all sorts of things um even without getting into it being used as a prison a place of execution and and a place of torture and cruelty um we then get into the fact that yes it it was also witness to to massive atrocities um of people being forced into confessions um people being treated totally inhumanely um the the last execution took place didn't there it was that german spy who landed with a broken broken ankle and he was imprisoned in the tower and eventually shot yeah absolutely yeah so um i mean it's just it's also seen a lot of um political changes not just because where it's sat in in london but i mean that's where richard ii holed up when the peasants revolt was going on and the peasants actually captured the tower which should have been impossible because William the Conqueror built it to be an impregnable fortress in London so that 
you know you yeah. always have a handhold in in England as it were um yeah but it looks like some of the guards were on the the peasant's side well uh, you know mm. the common side anyway and let yeah. people in so like having been there there's definitely an atmosphere about the place and i'm fully prepared to admit that that atmosphere might very well just be from my knowledge of its you know from its reputation yeah um but it has a feeling about it and its history is not something that can or should be wiped away Um, and i just don't i don't think they have attempted to either no no they haven't they very they're very open about all of it i think um Mm -hmm. i remember when we were entertaining one of alan's um like his opposite number from india and we Mm -hmm. went to london and we took him to the tower of london and we looked around and he seemed quite interested and until I started explaining its bloody history and then I was getting sort of, because this was a very traditional Hindu gentleman who, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously understood that in the West women don't necessarily act in the same way they do in very traditional parts of India. But was kind of like a little bit taken aback at this horrific torrent of bloody stories that I was telling <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, well, let's kind of finish off in Wales. Uh, what a place to finish off. Uh, we're going to finish off with the Cardiff Royal Infirmary, uh, which is unsurprisingly in Cardiff um, in Wales. Yes. So, so in 1822, the Cardiff Royal Infirmary began life as the Cardiff Dispensary on Newport Road. I love that they had to put Cardiff in it, just in case anyone yeah. was like, are we still in Cardiff? Um, or in case the building was displaced. And uh, it operated as the main hospital for the city until 1973. So that is a pretty long time. Yeah. Uh, now, over that time, um, it treated uh, hundreds of thousands of patients. Um, so it has seen a lot of people coming through it. Definitely. I mean, that's 200 years of of uh, certainly acting as accident and emergency when and you know mm-hmm. a lot of stuff happens in accident and emergency just in a year so 200 years yeah. that would be whoa um there's multiple reports yeah. of hauntings obviously people have died there it would have seen the spanish influenza epidemic um it yeah. would have seen uh, to be honest it's probably seen a lot of our recent pandemic as well and the measles yeah. and smallpox outbreaks and tuberculosis and uh, you know it would have had a tuberculosis ward it would have had uh, men brought back injured from world war one and world war two and what have you so yeah yeah it's seen a lot yeah um but i think that uh with regards to the multiple hauntings um which are attached to it there are there are a few names which have actually kind of sort of come to the fore. Yeah. Um, and two of them are Douglas Bragg and Eileen Rouse. Yeah. Now, see, Douglas Bragg is a plumber. I believe he's still living, etc., and probably plumbing. And uh, he was doing some work in the building in 2009. And he noticed a woman in a grey dress looking at him from the end of the corridor. And mm-hmm. she sort of nodded to him, but he felt quite uncomfortable. So he continued with what he was doing. And then he looked again and found she was still watching. So in the end, he went down the corridor to her to say, you know, is everything all right? 
as he approached her, she smiled, and then he looked again, and she was gone. And he had this weird, creepy feeling that, you know, that he had seen someone who maybe shouldn't have been there. So he finished off his job, and he asked about this woman. And mm-hmm. uh, eventually, they, he, they said, well, there's nobody on the staff that fits the description you're saying. Eventually, he went past a portrait in the main hall, which showed the woman, Eileen Rouse, who had been the last matron of the hospital and had died the year before. Yes. Um, (laughs) There is something, uh, because the thing is, we tend to think of sort of ghosts as being scary, but there's something kind of actually quite, I don't know if nice is the right word, but the idea that somehow her presence is still there. There's a few of them, actually. A few of supposedly ghosts of nurses or and we were talking Victorian nurses, so we're talking Florence Nightingale sort of era, um, mm-hmm. who appear there and they comfort patients and then they're just gone, they disappear. And when the patients ask about this person who was so kind to them, the mm-hmm. staff are kind of horrified because it wasn't one of them and they don't know who it is. And by the way, that's the yeah. wrong dress code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, of course, there are also some ghosts who are apparently uh, less genteel. Um, And there have been reports of security guards who have been patrolling the halls who found themselves being pushed and grabbed and knocked down um, by unseen forces. Um, I I say unseen forces because I I just wanted to clarify that it's not that they've just been patients (laughs) who've just gone, get them! (laughs) Just attacked. Well, they might have been Um, patients. It seems to be something. But they're incorporeal now. (laughs) Yeah. which is certainly not something you want when you're just trying to, to do your job. Yeah, these are people who describe themselves as sceptics as well. They don't believe in ghosts, and yet this stuff has still happened. Um, and it's been very yeah. unnerving for a lot of people. There's also a story about a grey lady who will offer you to offer you something from a bottle that she puts in a glass. And the, the story goes, don't take a drink from her. Don't accept one, no matter how she smiles at you, because you'll be dead within a week. So I wonder if there was someone who made either a major medication error or was going around and poisoning people. Yeah, we might have had a kind of an angel of death. Um, We've touched on kind of subjects of in the past, but there are definitely cases of people, particularly in hospitals, um, just like with you might have actually arsonists who join um, the fire fire brigade because they actually want to be close to the fires that they then that they start. Um, you actually have people who go around in hospitals who sometimes it is a matter of empathy, sometimes it's a matter of just taking things into your own hands and and deciding to to play God, um, who will basically poison or kill patients. Um, Sometimes it's about sort of euthanizing patients who actually wanted to be euthanized. Sometimes it's about just saying, well, they don't stand a hope and I'm not actually going to give them or their loved ones a choice. And I'm going to make sure they change their will first, i.e. Harold Chipman. (laughs) Yes. Um, But that's a whole other subject. It is. Um, There's also... There have also been... Oh, go on. I was going to say, there's several reports of people who've been in one of the offices where they have been talking to somebody and then they've seen this person lean over the person they're talking to, grab them by the throat and throttle them. And it's done with such sudden violence that they've sort of leapt up to try and help. And then there's been nobody Mm. there. And the person who was being throttled has kind of looked at them as if to say, what? And it's happened to multiple different people. Um, And they found it so disturbing 
I think that was one of the reasons that they actually arranged for an exorcism to happen at the hospital. Yeah, like, didn't staff actually call the police and and refuse to go into work until it was carried out? Yeah, there was a point where the the violent ghosts, the the, the non-benevolent ghosts, were causing such upheaval that the staff were too terrified to go into work and called the police about the situation. I can't think of any other hospital which has been actually working as a hospital at the time where they have called in an exorcist. Yeah, I, I love also them calling the police. Police being like, "What? What are we supposed to?" But that's do what you do, it? isn't it? You see something weird, you call the police, and the police are like, um, "But this is really outside our jurisdiction." <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess yeah, is it cursed? Um, I would say, considering probably what it's seen. Um, it's weird because hospitals are kind of these weird liminal spaces, as in quite literally these spaces between life and death. Yeah. You know, where life is, you know, life is born, literally, and life is extinguished, um, and people hang in the balance sort of in between. And I think most poignantly is people in hospitals are at their most vulnerable a lot of the time um, because they are away from everything that comforts them they are at, you know out of their their usual life um they are can be sick they can be dying they can be at the bedside of someone who's dying they could have lost everything they could have just introduced a new member into their family um the point is that it's these very heightened emotions everywhere this fear and it, in that way it is the most unique space you just don't get anything else like it so if we think about emotions and things like that actually kind of living as some kind of memory within the stonework within the whole area again even if it is just by reputation i would say that yes but i think the problem is the moment you say cursed you tend to think of only bad things um, whereas obviously lots of good and wonderful things happen in hospitals too but yeah, there. I think there's something to it. There. Yeah, it's not like a couple of people have seen a grey lady, is it? It's kind of like, no, there's a pattern of hauntings and some of them aren't all that great. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, it's a very interesting space. And I, I, I don't think I've ever stepped into any kind of hospital which hasn't felt a bit strange. But there is something to be said about going into old hospitals. The um the Hampshire County um hospital in Winchester is again a very, very old building. Um it's an old sort of red brick, uh this huge sort of mansion esque place. And parts of it are obviously very new and parts of it are very old. And there is something about it, particularly if you kind of, you get a proper look at it from like the front before you step in, that will change your perception of it. Yeah. Also with hospitals, because obviously they expand as new kind of places and particularly with old buildings, they kind of just keep having add-ons. So there's kind of something labyrinthine about them as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, to be honest, I've you know every hospital I've ever worked in, and I've worked in quite a few, has had at mm. least one ward. That one ward that is the haunted ward, and that yeah. weird stuff happens on, and that could be the most modern building as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, without going into details, but yeah, there's definitely. You, I think 
it's that idea that a place can kind of soak up extreme emotion, isn't it? Which is probably what we're mm-hmm. talking about with places being cursed. Yeah, absolutely. So that's us finished now with our um, stop tour of some of the cursed places uh, in the United Kingdom. Um, of course, as we kind of settle into Samhain and Halloween, we would love to hear about some of the haunted or cursed places around where you live or any stories that you know. Um, please do share them with us. Remember, you can get in touch with us via our Facebook, our Tumblr or our Twitter, both individually or through the Dissecting Dragons pages. We would love to hear what you've got to give us. Uh, now, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And Jules, I believe that you've got one for us. Yeah, if you're looking for a fun and only very slightly spooky watch um, over Samhain, then try, if you've got Disney+, Plus, of course, try Werewolf, which is part of the Marvel Universe, but it's filmed in sort of the traditional almost hammer horror type style. Um, The story is that the last great monster hunter has died and is about to pass on the bloodstone, which, you know, confers special power to monster hunters. And Mm -hmm. you you kind of get a... uh, And then there were none feel crossed with kind of the Hunger Games in this old house and building where a monster is released and all these hunters have to compete for the chance or wipe each other out on the way in order to be the head hunter. Okay, that sounds very, very interesting. It's fun, and they've kind of filmed it in a traditional black and white style, and there's some family stuff going on, and it is just... It's not too long. I really enjoyed it. It was a good laugh. Okay, cool. I'll definitely check that out. Um, And with that, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening. Very happy Halloween to those who are celebrating um, a a joyous Samhain. Um, and I hope that you enjoy the rest of the spooky month. Till next week. Bye bye. Thanks and goodbye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.